Cam from the Nerdbook Review, and today we are going to be bringing you an interview with Alex Perry, author of The War of Undoing, which is a finalist for Spiffbo 2017. Alex actually gives an amazing synopsis of the book in the actual interview, so I'll make this one quick. Um, We have a world where there are two races who are just about at war with each other. We have the humans and the Vumas, who used to be human, but through a, um, an accident, they were uh, separated off from the rest of humanity for a while and actually um, gained the ability to use magic. Um, the story is going to be told from the point of view of three siblings, for the most part. There is one other character, um, but the three siblings are L, Miller, and Tay. Um, L and Miller are um, boys who are teenagers. Miller is the hard worker of the family. Tay, or Elson, sorry, L, is almost, um, seems like he's got Asperger's. He's very, very smart, but not uh, super um, useful with uh, um, life skills. And Tay is kind of a, she's smart, but she's a bit of a screw-up who is always getting them into trouble and not being super helpful for the family. Um, the store that the reignings are important to both sides, although they don't know that at the beginning, and you will find out why during the story. There's a lot of inequity in the world, and it is a story that I feel like um, hit me the most emotionally out of the, uh, the finalists. I enjoyed the novel quite a bit, especially as it went on. Um, This book gets better and better as it goes. It is a longer book, uh, over 600 pages long, and it has a very satisfying payoff. I had a little bit of trouble, though, getting into the novel at the beginning, mostly because I really dislike Tay as a character. She is that irresponsible um, sibling who is never really contributing to the family in the way that she should be and usually has an excuse that it's someone else's fault. Um, There is a ton of inequity in the world, and she is not wrong that um, things are unfair, but she doesn't do herself any favors either. Um, The book book is entertaining. It isn't the most fast-paced book you're going to read, so there is that. Um, I would certainly recommend reading it, and if you're going to read it as just a um, because it's one of the finalists for uh, Spiffbo, I don't think you're going to regret that. I gave this one a four star review. Um, I think that's a pretty good rating. I I've consider this a I guess if we're looking at the, the four four out of five on my scale or an eight out of ten is a, a B. Um, and I think that if if I didn't have a sibling who I felt was very close to one of the characters that uh, made it so that I I really disliked one of the three main characters for an early, uh, early on, then I think that I, that this book would have been higher rated for me, but it did take me a little while to get into because of uh, my intense dislike of one of the main characters. I didn't dislike her throughout the novel. She does grow, but the way she starts off is, is a very irresponsible character. So, um, four out of five, I would recommend reading the novel, and I enjoyed the book at the end very much. Um, like I said, I think it's the book that, that out of the ten, grew the most on me from the beginning, from when I started until when I finished. I really enjoyed the book by the time I was done, 
and I was a little bit dubious when I started. If you find yourself taking a little while to get into the novel, I would continue on because I do think that it has a good payoff. And even though it is part of a series, it would work well as a standalone novel as well. So, um, I think that even though it's a fantasy series, it's relevant to today. And I hope that you guys enjoy the interview that we are about to listen to. Thank you very much. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome Alex Perry, author of The War of Undoing, a finalist in this year's Spiffbo 2017 writing contest. How are you today? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks very much for having me on here. You bet. I am excited to talk about your book. Um, I think your book was probably the one that I felt was the got me the most emotionally of the now nine that I've read. So it's uh, something that I'm excited to talk about a little bit. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, yeah. Um, so I live in Edinburgh um, in the UK, in Scotland in the UK, um, and I've lived here all my life. Um, uh, don't really move around much. Um, yeah, I'd, I'm not the most interesting person. I think the most interesting things about me are probably the creative things, which we'll probably get to later. So uh, I won't spend too long um, talking about myself. Um, I um, have been writing since a very young age. Um, I, I remember reading reading various stories and writing almost sort of carbon copies of them. Um, that was sort of my first books was just complete rip-offs of things that I'd read and liked. I, I guess that's probably how quite a few people get started, though. Um, and it was usually fantasy. Um, I actually, I dropped out of school um, after about two years of high school um, because of um, sort of anxiety issues, which I've I've always had. Um, and I was homeschooled for, for a while by my mum, who actually, conveniently enough, is a, a qualified teacher. Um, so that actually worked out quite well. Uh, and then I went to university, studied English, and really, apart from that, I've mostly just been trying to to get my writing um, into a state where I'm willing to share it with other people. And it takes me a very long time to do that because I'm never really satisfied with anything that I write. Or it, it takes me a very long time to be... Um, the War of Undoing um, was a book that I started... I think in my late teens, and it took over ten years to actually get it into a state where I was I was happy enough to to publish it. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a slow writer. I'm I'm also a very slow reader. So as much as I want to read, and I do want to read all the time, it takes me very long time to get through books. But I get there in the end. Not sure there's a, anything else to say. So you talk about that. You like to do uh, like creative endeavors. What uh, I understand that you do um, some work with like short films, and you also have a podcast, correct? Yes, um, I actually have two podcasts. So I I, I shouldn't really say that because neither of them are very regular, especially at the moment. They're pretty sporadic. Like I don't release episodes very often. Um, it's basically just when I when I have time um, or when I feel like oh I haven't done one of those for a while. I should probably get back to that. Um, so yeah, um, there's one called Rainy Day Adventure Club, which is maybe, um, more relevant to this podcast because it's a sort of fantasy adventure podcast. It's kind of silly. Um, it's a bit like, um, one of those podcasts where people play D and D, uh, but it's a sort of rule set that I 
makeup, um, and it's a bit sillier than those tend to be. It's pretty lighthearted and and fun. Um, I just wrote my friends in, and we um, and sort of send them on silly adventures through the power of imagination. Um, <laughs> and the other one is Everything versus Everything, which is a, a more sort of um, conversational podcast where we talk about. Um, we talk about everything in the world and we try and rank everything in the world in, a, in order from best to worst. It's a silly concept. So they're both fairly sort of whimsical, silly things um, that, that are kind of distractions from from other stuff that I should be doing. <laughs> Understandable. And what about your, uh, you said that, that you do the short films as well? Uh, yes. Um yeah, we're actually filming some today out in the in the freezing snow. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm not usually the creative force. Sometimes I write scripts for for our little group. It's just a kind of amateur filmmaking group that um, some of my friends have. Um, sometimes goes by the name Beyond Studios. If you want to look us up, we've done a few um, sort of um, silly. A lot of a lot of what I do is silly. Um, you're probably noticed that as a theme. Um, but yeah, we were doing a sort of horror film today, which I wasn't. I, I was just holding the microphone throughout that, which is something that I've had to do a lot. Um, but yes, uh, it, it's nice to feel useful, and it's nice to get out of the house occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess with your uh, your other hobbies and uh, mostly being indoors. Yes, that's the thing. Well, it sounds like you uh, are certainly involved in a lot of uh, creative endeavors then. Yeah, I kind of uh, I, that. That's just sort of the way that things have gone for me. I've, it's always been my ambition to be creative, and I'm not really very good at anything else. So I'm, I'm just trying to make the best of it by by doing as much as possible. Um, well, that's good though. And um, y- your writing style, I would actually uh, describe as, as slightly whimsical as well. You said that you started writing when you were a teenager. Um, what were some of your influences, and, and who were your uh, favorite authors growing up? Um, well, I, I, I actually started writing um, earlier than that, but I think I, I only started really taking it seriously when I was a teenager. I always sort of had this sort of thought in my mind, oh, I'd like to be a writer, but it was probably more like the sort of thought that every every child has like i want to be an astronaut or whatever it was just that like a job that i'd latched onto. but then um so i would i would read um there was a series over here it might be a quite a british thing called um the faraway tree by ina blyton um which was like a, a fantasy series for very young children or not very young probably like seven or eight or something which i was obsessed with that's the first book i remember being completely sort of enchanted by and i i wrote immediately wrote a complete ripoff of it um basically the premise was that there's this this magical tree out in this woods um and if you climb to the top of it then there is a different land at the top of it every time and and the which land it is changes and you can go up there and explore this magical land um and then you come down but if you don't come down in time it might move on and take you with it um that kind of thing so i wrote a uh, a story that was exactly the same as that except it wasn't a tree it was a, a tunnel underground um <laughs> so, so you just walked along the tunnel and there was a land at the end of it Ooh, original um yeah so 
a lot of my early stuff was like that where I was just literally copying something that I'd read um, uh, but as I grew up I, I started to think and I started to think about writing as maybe an actual career possibility um, I, I sort of um, I, I, I was trying to be more original but I definitely I definitely still have strong influences um, one of the main series that I was obsessed with as many people um, in Britain were and, and probably um, across the world really was Harry Potter that was I was the right age for that exactly and it just kind of caught me and I sort of grew up with it so um, I, 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 I'm not really objective about it I just sort of revere it um, so that was definitely an influence and that certainly has a fair degree of whimsy in it um, so that might have have something to do with the way that my style turned out. It's not. It's hard to. It's hard for me to be serious for too long, I suppose, without undermining it with something silly happening or a silly conversation between two people or what, whatever. How would you describe your writing style? It's hard because um, I think I always think of it as a combination of everything I've ever read sort of merged into one. I like I I I don't I, I never feel like I'm being original. I feel like I'm mixing things together and if I'm mixing um enough different things together then something new will come out. And and my my main fear when I'm writing is usually, oh I'm getting too close to this one thing. I need to steer it in a different direction. So, you know, if it's getting too much like Harry Potter I might sort of try and inject a bit more sort of Tolkien into it and go a bit that direction. Um, so I, I really just think of it as a sort of weird mixture of of all all my influences at once. And I've even noticed like when I read something um, that that I like or sometimes even something that I don't like, I will end up that I'll be writing after that and I'll realize, oh, wait, I'm writing in the style of that thing that I just read. Like, it's almost like... It, it, it is still like I'm ripping stuff off. I'm just doing it in a more subtle way, which is probably a lot of the art of writing, I would guess, for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I guess it's... If I had to summarize the style, that's, that's very difficult because it... it it is sort of the only style that I can write in. I've tried other <laughs> styles and they just don't work for me. Like I, I've tried to be completely serious and straight with something and, and um, you know, um, uh, that hasn't worked. I've, I've given up on that after a few days of trying to write something like that because I, um, I mean, it, for one thing, I find it a bit too depressing. And for another thing, I just thought, I don't I don't I'm not entertained by this so why should anyone else be um and I've tried to sort of write things that are purely funny but that doesn't work for me either I feel like I need to it's like um being serious is one or and um being being silly is another and I'm I'm rowing this boat with both of them, and I don't know how to row with just one. Like I need both to to get by, I suppose. Oh, better no. better writers than me can do can do with one, but I I, I kind of need all the tools that I can get at my disposal, or, or I find it very difficult. Well, I you know I mean it, you can 
especially you have a, a real dry humor in the in the novels. I, I thought Mel Brooks is an American, but Monty Python. Have you been? A, are you a fan of that as well? Because it kind of reminds yes, me a little I, of that. Mm, yes, and 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 I think it's sort of. I don't know that there's a specific influence, but like. Um, Mel Brooks was an interesting one. I hadn't I hadn't seen that comparison coming, but like that that's really interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I like I haven't seen much of his stuff, but I've seen a bit, and and it's not a comparison that I would ever have thought to make. But you know, it is kind of cool, like when something when you get sort of compared to something that unexpected, like um, and I don't know, maybe I sort of. I sort of think maybe there is a bit of a, a cultural difference. Um, and I haven't really thought about this before, but maybe there's a bit of a cultural difference between sort of British fantasy and American fantasy, because I think a lot of British fantasy has a sort of weird sort of um, background hum of, of sort of um, humor or, or not taking itself too seriously. Um, like even um, there's obvious examples like Terry Pratchett, who's who's another inference of mine. But um, like even Tolkien, I think there's there's maybe not humor exactly, but there's there's a whimsy there that I feel like you wouldn't find. Maybe maybe it's more of an old fantasy novel thing versus new fantasy novels, which tend to be well the the sort of grim dark um, subgenre is the sort of trend at the moment, but. Like in in the Hobbit, for example, there's a sort of the opening chapter is um, pretty much like a farce where there's all these unexpected dinner guests arriving, and you know Bill Baggins doesn't know what to do about it. Um, you know he's worried he's going to run out of cake and all this stuff, and it's just it's just ma- a mad opening to a book, really, especially like a, an epic quest book. And uh, yeah, that's a children's book, but even in like Lord of the Rings, you've got um, in the middle of this very serious quest to save the world, there's a little diversion into um, Tom Bombadil, who's just a happy man who dances around and says, hey ho, um, jolly ho, Tom Bombadillo, or something like that. And you're just kind of like, I thought we were I thought we were saving the world, Tom. I thought we were going to fight the, the Dark Lord Sorrow and what you're doing. Um, it's, it's a strange sort of... Um, there's a bit of a sort of absurdist quality to, I think, a lot of fantasy or a lot of the fantasy that that was a big influence on me growing up. And I've read I've read a lot more sort of straight fantasy or straight fantasy is a weird thing because fa- fantasy is a very broad thing, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I, I've read a sort of reasonably broad array of it now. And I can see that there are, are kinds that don't have that sort of absurdist element, but I think the ones that I read when I was of the age, when I was forming my idea of what fantasy was, they're they're probably more full of that kind of strange, stranger side of um, of the world than than some of the newer stuff. Yeah, and I mean that's that's very obvious in the War of Undoing. Let's go ahead and actually start talking about the War of Undoing. Can you give a like a quick overview of the synopsis? Mm, that's that's something I've always struggled with as well, but I'll try. <laughs> um, okay, so it, it's set in a continent called Kyland, um, and there are two main main sort of dominant races. There's the humans, um, 
who are very much like us. And there is the Vumas, who are a race of magic users who actually evolved from humans several centuries ago and since then have been sort of um, struggling to find their place in the world. There have been sort of wars between the Vumas and the humans, um, with the Vumas obviously using magic and the humans using all their military might to, to quash these sort of rebellions. Um, and and it start and the story, the main story of the War of Undoing starts after a sort of period of uneasy peace between between those two races, and um, it, there's it's an age called the Age of Enlightenment, which the human the human government has sort of declared as a way of of um, trying to make the future seem bright and hopeful, um, and. But there are tensions brewing in the world, and there there are whispers that the Vumas are um, who who haven't really got the same share of political power that the humans have. That they're sort of um, get, getting restless and preparing to rebel again. Um, and then, um, separate from this, or seemingly separate from this, um, we meet um, three young humans. Um, who are living in a sort of Dickensian, not very pleasant town, um, a bit sort of Victorian London-ish, um, called Taro. Um, and they're, they're, they've been abandoned by their parents, or they've been shipped off to this town um, to live um, on very little money. And they're, they're struggling to get by. And... And their 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 names are they're the Rainings and their names are Elstone, Tay, and Miller. And one day they get a mysterious letter, um, which is delivered by an exploding bird. I don't, that's not too big a spoiler. Um, and it's it's an invitation to come to um, a land across the sea and possibly be involved in something big. Um, and they don't really know what to make of it, but Tay, who is the sort of, um, I guess, the assertive, the, the driving force of the family, uh, is determined to go. And so the story kind of carries on from there. I'll try not to, to give away too much about what happens, but they find out that they're actually quite important in a way that they didn't expect and in a way that they don't necessarily want to be important. Now... Um I just have to say that uh, you say you have trouble, uh, you know, giving a good synopsis, but that's probably the best synopsis I've ever been given in an interview. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so talking about those, uh, the reigning siblings, the, as you said, that there's, there's Tay, Miller, and L, as I could just to shorten mm, it, Stone. Yeah. But um, now I have to admit, it took me a little while to get into your book, mostly because I was the Miller of my uh, siblings, and I had a uh, sibling that was Tay, like as close to it as you could get to a Tay. And so I mm. really disliked Tay t- uh, for a large part of the book, especially at the beginning, that just getting into trouble and doing things without really thinking. Um, how did you go about writing each of the, the characters? And, and would you, uh, I guess, a question, do you, uh, I don't know if you have any siblings, but which child would you have been? Hmm. Um, well, first I should I should mention um, your 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 thing about Tay. That's 
the most common piece of feedback I've had about this this book. So you're not alone. Like I've had a lot of varying responses to the book, but one common theme is that a lot of people seem to have a problem with Tay, um, which is odd because I didn't really I didn't really expect that. Um, I think um, maybe I was too close to the characters and, and couldn't really see. Um, the sort of first impression that they might make on on a, a new reader coming in, because I I've been developing them over so long that um, I suppose I I was sort of very attached to all of them, and I and I as much as obviously I knew that Tay is sort of is flawed in many ways and um, a sort of reckless and angry at the world and doesn't always do the right thing. I sort of I, I was willing to forgive her a lot of things that new readers probably wouldn't be. So um I think that was partially a sort of um oversight on my part. Um but yeah, I I, I would be the Elstone, definitely. Um I have a brother who would be the Miller and um as much as I I'm reluctant to to make draw this link, um I think I think Tay may be my mum, but she's like she's not nowhere near as as um, objectionable as Tay can be. I should say that um, they're 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 not really sort of complete clones of us. They're just and and I would say that the more sort of the more um, immature parts of Tay are probably me rather than my mum. I think uh, there's a lot of me in all of them, but Elstone is the one that I I really relate to the most because he's sort of a sort of a bundle of nerves um who who just um doesn't know what to do and and is a bit terrified in most situations um but also likes reading um although i'm terrible at um retaining historical information um that's one way in which we're very different um <laughs> yeah well, yeah yeah because now and just for the the listeners, if they haven't already read the book, uh, Miller the, is the oldest, and he's kind of the hard worker of the family, the one that keeps them mostly fed, at least. Uh, Elstone is the youngest, and he's uh, very bookish and really good with like random facts, but not not very helpful uh, with real world um, things. And Tay, the middle sibling, is the only girl of the three, and she's the one that uh, basically. She always gets fired from her jobs just because she doesn't show up or she does something stupid, and then she always blames somebody else for it. I guess, like I said, I think my thing is is that, so when we were growing up, um, we, we farmed, my family did, and uh, my sibling, who luckily will never be uh, listening to this podcast probably, but he was the one that would just not go and set water on his days, and so then instead of him being in trouble for doing that, my parents would just say, Cameron, why don't you go do all of the water? Because you're going to actually take care of it or do all the tractor work because it's better just to make you do it than worry about it not being done properly. <laughs> mm. So, And Tay is that, that character that, that um, should be able to be helping things out. But, but you know, and, and things, things change as time goes on. But this is just kind of like the way that, that we see them at the beginning of the book. Yes. And that, that yeah, I can see that. I could see why you would <laughs> have a problem with her then. Um, I, I guess it, it's one of those things um, is very difficult for me to see it as a reader would see it because, as, as I mentioned, I've been developing them for so long. Um, and she wasn't always the way that she is in the current draft. I think I 
you know, everyone's been revised so many times. And she used to be a sort of more responsible person. And I think, um, and then she started getting angry about things. And most of the things that she was angry about originally were kind of things that I would say, uh, well, I feel are, it's right to be angry about. It's like injustice and, and all this stuff. Um, but then I suppose I... I got to the point where I thought maybe she's too sort of. Um, I, I, I worried that she was not flawed enough. She was more sort of uh, the moral compass who was um, guiding people, and she was just. Um, I, I thought maybe she was too good a character, too, not too good a character, too good a person to be believable in some ways. So I think I added a bit of stuff about how. She's actually like the the reasons that she gets through all these jobs and stuff is because is not just because um, she she's you know they're degrading or whatever or the people who are who are in charge of them are cruel, um, but because she's also got this sort of other side to her which is a bit um, more sort of irresponsible. And and I maybe overdid that irresponsibility a little bit on um, reflection, I guess. Um, but it, I mean, I found her that's believable. the sort of thing. Okay, <laughs> that's that's something. And the thing is, is that she her anger isn't misplaced. Like there is a lot of inequity in this world. Not only are the Vumas like a downtrodden uh, second class citizen, even if the humans, if you're not wealthy, are are not exactly treated well. Yeah, that's definitely true, and I think um, that was, uh, yeah, I th I think maybe I thought that justified more of her character um, than it did. Um, I, I suppose I she she was for a long time when I was writing, she was like the channel for my, all my anger because I guess I guess I was quite immature and and maybe still am for a lot of the time that I was writing the book, um, and be because you know I was a teenager when I started. Um, so I, I was sort of, um, I had a lot of this sort of anger at the world and just um, the sort of, uh, why can't things be fairer? And, and I still have some of that, to be fair. Um, but, you know, uh, I think I think that comes across in the book as uh, it, it reads, some of it reads to me like a sort of tantrum of a book. It's just sort of um, screaming like, why can't things be fairer? Why can't we be kinder to people and all, all that sort of thing? Um and I would have, I considered toning that down as I was redrafting, you know, as a, a somewhat older um, person. But then I thought, you know, it's about it's about growing up, this book, really. It's a, it's a sort of coming of age story as well as being a, a fantasy adventure. So it seemed almost dishonest to, to clamp down on the sort of... The, the worldview that I'd had as a younger person and say, you know, um, you, you know, but things are more complicated than that. It, it felt like this is, this is almost like a book by my younger self that I'm, I'm tidying up and, and polishing and presenting. I didn't want to completely erase that younger self from it because that felt like I would lose something in the process of doing that. So it does have a lot of um, that sort of, um, anger at the world, I suppose. Yeah, well, and you know, your your 
like tech wise, you know, you're somewhere right around the middle of the industrial revolution. There's trains and there's guns and things like that. But, you know, there was an awful lot of inequity in our world as well during that time period. You know, there weren't uh, protections for workers and like mine owners and things like that, you know, made all the money while they're the miners died of black lung. And I mean, you're, you're dealing with a a pretty inequitable time period, even in our world. So all of your, your anger and things like that, they're not misplaced. I mean, they, you know, they would have been, I mean, we deal with an awful lot of inequity today, but yeah, it's just, it's understandable that your characters are angry. And, you know, in fact, I mean, but you still have like Miller, look at him, you know, he's a, he's the hard worker and he's always got a positive outlook on life even. That's true, yes. So, I, go, talking about that, now you mentioned that the Vumas use magic. Um, how did you deal with the, the, the tech and the magic at the same time and, and how uh, it would affect each side? Well, yeah, that was, that was one of the big sort of... Um, what's the word? It was, it was one of the things that sort of came first when I was plotting the book, I suppose, was the, the way that magic would work. Um, and I don't want to spoil things, but there's there's something that happens during the book that was the first thing that I thought of when I was coming up with the story, and that and pretty much all the pieces fell into place around that. Um, but yeah, I won't say any more um, because that's a big spoiler. But there's um, yeah, there's so there's magic um, which the Vumas control, um, but it depends on this this substance called Miracus, which. Um, is sort of floating, infused in the air all around us at all times. Um, but then the humans, as, as you might expect, have sort of co- tried to co-opt this technology, this, well, it's not really a technology, this magic, and and sort of um, treat it like a science. Um, there's a sort of, there's a human sort of scientist who's quite prominent in the book who's a part of this um this government lab that's involved in, you know, trying to take the power of magic and and use it against the Vumas, um, using technology and science to understand how it works and everything. And I kind of like the idea that um, the humans see it as a science, but the Vumas, who obviously have a sort of intuitive understanding of it, they see it more as a sort of art. Um, They see it as something that those humans are never going to understand with their their, um, you know, high tech gadgets and whatever. They're not. They're not going to get to the bottom of it. They, you know, they don't have the intuitive feel for it that we have. Um, so I, I, I was sort of, I was unsure where I came down on it personally. Like I don't know whether um, it's really a sort of if there is it's an exact science with physical laws governing it, or if it's a sort of. Um, poetic a more sort of poetic thing that doesn't have rules but you know um you can pretty much do anything with it if you know how um i'm not sure but i kind of like leaving it a bit ambiguous um there's there's enough rules in there that i feel like there are so there's still stakes in the story um because one of the things that i find a little bit um off-putting about some um fantasy stories and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just my brain is too literal for for me to deal with it. Um, is is when magic is is basically just there. There are no rules to it. Um, 
like when when I read Neil, Neil Gaiman, and I think Neil Gaiman's a great writer, but um, the first time that I read American Gods, for example, I sort of I was sort of thinking when I was reading it, like how is any of this working? Like there's there's no there, there's no logic to it that I can see at all, and and it seemed to me like there, because of that there were no stakes here. Like uh, people, dead people could, could just come back like when they feel like it, and um, you know someone can um, pluck the moon out of the sky and it turns into a coin, and that's really cool. That's an amazing image, but uh, I don't personally get how. I mean, you're not supposed to get how that happens. I guess it's magic. I'm being way too sort of analytical of it um if anything but um i, I suppose think, sorry to interrupt you on. but i do think that's the way though that the fantasy is gone and in that there has to be some sort of rule and mm. i certainly favor that because i think that if you just have you know magic as um that it's just so powerful that you can do anything with it then it really does affect things in, in, in you know in such a strong way that you know the average person doesn't have the ability to uh, to really matter and I think we're you know in an era where with fantasy um, we don't want uh, just a magic user to be so overpowering that they are godlike you know yes yeah I, I I agree I tend to favor that kind of thing although I can see the appeal of of keeping it very sort of abstract and um, more like sort of poetry than prose where, you know, anything can happen as long as it's cool. But yeah, it, it does sort of, for me, rob the rob the story of this, the tension and the stakes and the sense of groundedness and the sense that you can really follow what's going on as a human. Um, like, it, it, it's nice to be able to know vaguely what the rules are in any situation. Yeah, and you know, I think that we've uh, we've done a a fair job so far of talking about the emotional stakes in the book. Um, you've said that, you know, that, that as a, a teen, it, it, um, when you started this, you know, you had a little bit of the unfairness and things like that, but how did you, um, carry that on as you continue to write the novel? Cause I think that of, as I said, I've read, read eight of the 10 novels now, and I really do feel like yours hit me the most emotionally of the eight that I've read. Um, was that something that, I know that you said that you kind of thought about it that as a teen, but did you was that a central theme throughout the the ten years or so that you were writing the novel? Um, yes, I mean it was because I suppose once I'd settled on on what the book was about, and I, I don't necessarily want to get into the sort of what what exactly was what exactly sparked that because it was it was sort of world events, I suppose that probably influenced a lot of what was in the book um and and me just being sort of baffled and and annoyed and sort of upset that the world seemed to be um quite unfair and and you know uh, i was sort of i was i was feeling anxious about a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time that i started it but yeah I, um i guess once i'd settled on that as a sort of theme i sort of tried to honor it even though there were other things that were kind of creeping in and and i was thinking oh i'd like to write about that but you know the war of undoing was sort of its own thing and i thought i should try and as much as i am changing quite a lot of this 
I was trying to stay true to the original vision. So I was trying to drive home some of the points that I was trying to make. And, I, and it's not really... And, and I think originally I was sort of being a bit heavy-handed and I may, maybe still am a bit heavy-handed in, in some ways um, with the sort of... Um, the, the, the way that it goes and... I don't want to say message because um, I, I I've sort of really soured on the idea of putting messages into into books, um, but you know I, I I certainly try I tried to sort of branch out a little bit and make things a bit more complicated than they originally were because I think I was pretty naive when I I wrote the first draft and it was quite a straightforward sort of this thing is bad narrative. Um, where I was sort of pointing out, look, this thing's bad. We shouldn't do that. Um, and there's still a bit of that because I, again, I didn't want to betray the original spirit of the book, really. Um, but I, I did try and make it a little bit more complex and maybe show other sides to things um, a little bit more than I did in the original draft. Um, I don't know how well I did that, but um, it, it it was always. I was always trying to, I mean, it, it, I guess it's a goal for a lot of writers to try and hit people on an emotional level. I suppose, um, yeah, I was trying to do that. Um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't really deny it because, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that it seems to, to work for at least some people though. Um, cause I wasn't sure it is very difficult to tell. Like that's another thing that, as a writer, you just have no objectivity about. You can just go. I don't know if this is effective at all, but I'll put it out there and see. Um. All right. Um, so let's talk then a little bit, like about where you're going in the future. You say that you're a, a slower writer, but is this I, this is a, a book that could be self-contained? But it does look like it's part of a series. Is that correct? Yes, and and it was sort of deliberate that I wrote it um, as a could be self-contained book um it, it, even though i i say i think i say on the on the blurb or on the back cover or something that this is book one of a series and you know um but i i did sir i wanted closure at the end of it of a type like it doesn't resolve everything that's going on in the world but there are stories in it that get fairly um firmly resolved at the end um which is something that i wanted to do because I think it's sort of um, going against the the grain a bit because I think a lot of modern fantasy series will just always end on a cliffhanger. Like that that's just sort of the way that things seem to have gone lately. At least um, in the modern fantasy books that I've read, it seems to be the the trend. But I kind of wanted to. It's a long, you know, it's a long slog to get through the War of Undoing. Um, hopefully, a fun one. But it's a, still a, a task. Um, so I kind of wanted to reward people with a bit of closure at the end. Um, but yes, I do have a plot for a second one that I have been dabbling with for quite some time. Since even before I finished the first one, I've been um, sort of fiddling with the second one a bit. But it, it's a long way off if it happens, which hopefully it will. Do you have anything else that you're working on or are planning on um, publishing in the near future? Or is this the, the book you're working on still? Um, yes, I'm I'm trying to do some smaller things in the meantime, just because I know that um, 
the second of, of this series will take a ridiculously long time, probably. Um, so I just kind of want, and, 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 you know, I just wanted a little break from it because it has been my focus for such a long time. And um, as much as I, I kind of love it, like, and love the characters and everything, it's not, um, <laughs> you know, it's overwhelming to think about diving right into book two after finishing book one so i am i'm sort of trying to write shorter things um little shorter fantasy books in it in a totally different world um but i i have trouble writing short things as well as taking a long time to write things whenever i write something it always grows and grows and grows until it's completely out of control even if i start it thinking i'm just gonna write a ten thousand words little story or novella or something it, that never happens i don't know why <laughs> it's a it's a, a flaw of mine did you go the self-publishing route from the beginning or did you send this out as well um i think i made a sort of token effort um to to find an agent um but when that didn't happen well the thing is my mum um has been self-publishing um her novels for quite a few years now um significantly before i i did um so that was always there in the background as a sort of option and i was think, and she was sort of recommending it because she's actually had a fair bit of success um as a self-published author and um i was so i was always aware that that was an option but i did try and send it to a few agents and that that didn't work out um got rejections from them as as part of a sort of rite of passage for writers and after that i thought well i i tried a bit <laughs> i didn't try as hard as i probably should have but i was so determined to just get it out there that i i then just went the self-publishing route after that do you like the uh like the self-promotion and things like that or is that something that you don't enjoy uh, I don't, I'm not crazy about it. I, I, I definitely didn't do enough of it, especially right at the gate because I just, um, I sort of, I, it was, it was bad. I just sort of thought arrogantly, um, that, you know, if it's good, people will find it, but that doesn't, that's not how it works at all. I've discovered because it, um, it really did not sell at all, um, for a very long time after publishing it. Um, so yeah, the, the only things I've really done to promote it, apart from occasionally tweeting or things like that to my relatively small number of followers, is to, um, I guess, to enter into Spiffball, which um, has been interesting and has definitely changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, you, you've had a little success there, huh? Mm, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, I'm not setting the Amazon charts on fire or anything, but like going from zero sales to some sales is kind of a, I was a little bit astounded by that, to be honest. Have you have you done any uh, like connecting with uh, any of the other authors or uh, has it helped, you know, grow your audience in terms of, I know that you said you have had more sales, but have you had more interactions with people? I've had a few, yeah. I I, I feel bad because I haven't been interacting as much as I probably should because um, I find that sort of thing quite intimidating. Um, but uh, yeah, I have I have been in contact with a few people, um, and and that's even that is surreal. Um, 
and and really cool. Like it, as much as it it does make me nervous sometimes, it's really cool to actually be, um, you know, talking to people about this thing that I've worked on and you know the whole self-publishing scene and everything. It's it's just it's just weird because I I went so long with with not a blip on the radar of you know anyone knowing about it or caring about it and and now. I'm actually getting some messages about it, and it's it's really cool. I'm I'm very happy. Awesome. And and who is your blog again? Who oh yeah, it was um, Porno Kitch was the the blog that reviewed me. Oh yeah. Um, which, despite its name, is a very respectable and thoughtful and well written <laughs> um, blog. I should point that out. Um, yeah, and I know that uh, recently they had a. Uh, uh, he did. He finished all of his reviews, so they're all. Yeah, he was very quick. Like I was the first um, finalist to be announced, and so that was also probably quite handy because it probably it may have like boosted my sales because the other finalists hadn't been announced yet. Um, so I was you know, for a while I was the only finalist, and that was that was weird. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> nice to nice to have others announced now. Yeah, and. Could you go ahead and uh, uh, just give us some of the, the places you can be reached? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, my website is alexperrywriter.co.uk. Um, that's kind of a hub. You can find various other things of mine there. Um, I'll mention one of the podcasts because it's slightly relevant to fantasy, which is rainydayadventureclub.wordpress.com. That's where you can find that. Um, I'm... At Mole Thrower on Twitter, as in, I don't know why I chose that name, uh, as in <laughs> um, a thrower, a, a person who hurls small furry garden mammals through the air, a thrower of moles, Mole Thrower, I don't know, I don't know, um, I was young, I wasn't that <laughs> young, but <laughs> um, uh, that's probably enough of where you can find me, Okay, I think. Well, hey, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I mm, think thank we you. had I, a good interview. I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, you have a great day then. I guess evening for you. You too. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> you right. too. Talk to you later. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.